Thank you, Chuck. Our society is, spends a lot of time thinking about truth. You know, you, I want the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. I can't handle the truth, so we just resort to my truth, your truth, whatever truth. So I thought, why not just try Googling truths about life? You know, Google, you know, the all-knowing Google, let's see what we got. Got some, got some truths about life. These aren't necessarily happy truths, but they are truths. We will always be imperfect. Well, okay, you know, we can deal with that. We know we're not perfect individual, you know, everybody else, but it's always going to be that way. Being busy does not mean you are being productive. Okay, Google, you're hitting a little too close to home here. Anything worthwhile is going to be challenging. I can see it. Nobody hands out Olympic medals for sitting on the couch. Although it would be funny to see, you know, Winter Olympics, you know, the Oreo eating event. We can't control every circumstance in life, but we can control how we respond. Well, that's true. True, we can't control everything that happens. We can't control how we respond. So, so much for that saying, look what you made me do. And here's another one. Most of our arguments are absolutely pointless. For people that spend a lot of time online, yeah, that might hit a little close to home. Most of our arguments just don't go anywhere. These may be uncomfortable truths, but they challenge us because sometimes we might act like these truths are false or other truths are false. And the fact is, if we ignore the truth, it magnifies our problems. It sets us on track for failure. If we just ignore the truth, bad things are going to happen. If you're driving down the road, you start hearing a strange noise in the car and you just turn up the radio... You see lights come on on the dash and you put a piece of tape over it thinking, this will not hurt me later. Yeah, you know, that's, you're not headed anywhere good if you're doing that. And if we can't tell truth from falsehood or we live in a, and we can't live in accordance with the truth, friends, we're not going to have a very good time at all. And in the time of the later New Testament, when I say later New Testament, I really mean from about the mid-60s on, the theme of truth keeps coming up. You will notice, now that we are in what we call that later New Testament time, and man, we're making it through the Bible. We only got four weeks left. We got five books. I'm doubling up second and third John because, I mean, short. Yeah, but we're coming to the end, literally, with the Revelation. But you get into these books, and the theme of truth keeps popping up time and time and time again. It's important to remember at this time, it wasn't easy to be a Christian. Persecution was ramping up quickly, and not just the freelance stuff that you saw in the book of Acts. Now it's starting to come from the Roman Empire, from the governors, even from the emperor. And you'd go to church, and you'd realize it's maybe hard to tell truth from falsehood there because there were starting to be rampant false teachers. People were starting to sneak in and teach all sorts of things that weren't true. So it's not enough that Roman authorities are coming after you. You also have internal threats and people who will undermine your faith for fun and for profit. 
Man, you were just getting it from every direction if you were a Christian at this time. And to this, we find the second letter of Peter. Peter, one of the Lord's apostles, one of his closest friends while here on the earth. Second Peter would have been written shortly before his martyrdom, placing it just slightly before Paul writing Second Timothy. It was a good time to be writing second letters. Peter didn't write this to a specific person or city or even area. He's not addressing it, hey, to you guys over in Ephesus. You know, not, he's not doing that. He's just kind of sending this out. And as we, if you read through the book, you realize, you know, this really applies to just about any Christian in any time. Because he's encouraging Christians to remain in the truth of Christ, to reject that false teaching, to continue living out this truth of Christ, even in the midst of a society that is turned against them. Everything around you might be going wrong. Church might not even be a great respite because of the false teachers, but we still must live out the truth of Christ. It was important to them then, it's important to us now to hold to the truth of Christ. Friends, letting go of Jesus isn't going to solve anything. It's not easy to hold to the truth of Christ, but it is necessary. He opens this letter with a reminder. A reminder that we are to be godly. He writes this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He keeps going, but that's enough for now. Man, from catching fish to writing stuff like this. It's amazing what Jesus does with a person, isn't it? Peter tells us, We have the truth of Christ, but we hold to that truth in righteous living. You see, truth isn't just something mental. Truth is something we do. He says, God has given us everything we need to follow him. You know, God is not sitting in heaven and they're in a closet. He's got a box labeled things Christians need. And God's thinking, well, one of these days I'll get around to sending the rest of it. No, he's already given it to us. Yeah, living out the truth of Christ, trying to follow him, it's not easy. But friends, we've got what we need. There is no lack of instruction. We have God's Holy Spirit within us. If you are in Christ, friends, you have the Spirit of the living God within you. Sitting there this morning. On the uncomfortable pew. Like I say, folks, you, fo- you folks in the back have no idea how bad it is. Because if you come forward, you know, these have a lot more life in them. <laughs> the back pews are all city miles. <laughs> you don't believe me, after church, come up and plop it in one of these. And I mean, you're going to be like, I don't, honey, we are not sitting in the back anymore. <laughs> Just saying. 
apropos of nothing. But that spirit of God within us is sitting in that pew too. That spirit of God within us goes wherever we go, guiding us into his truth, showing us application, sometimes convicting us of sin, sometimes encouraging us. Friends, we have that because we have left behind a sinful world so we could be like him. Peter points out, this world is corrupt. Not just politically corrupt, folks, it is spiritually corrupt. And friends, when we joined with Christ, we left it behind. We came to him. We died to this world. I mean, that's the beautiful imagery in baptism. Paul points this out. We come to him. We don't just get wet for the sake of getting wet. We die with him. We are raised to new life. Our sins washed away all in that beautiful retelling that each of us has done. Man, I tell you, God's smart. You ever notice that? God is really, really smart. And what he does is he gives us reminders and signs and shows us his teachings, not just in intellectual lecture form, but things we carry out, things we do. We just did another one of them a few minutes ago, communion. We don't just get up here and say, remember Jesus. We pick up elements. We hold them. We feel them. We place them on our tongues and chew them. Well, chew the bread. Hopefully you're not having to chew the... (laughs) But you can smell it and taste it. Take it within yourself. It is something that appeals to every last sense we have. Why? To remember him. When we come to him, we die with him in baptism. We are raised to new life, literally acting out death, burial, and resurrection. Showing what has happened with our Lord and what is happening with us. Friends, we died to this world. We left it behind. It's in the rearview mirror. Peter's saying that. Why? Why? To be like him. Folks, we don't become gods. You will not become a god. There is one God. His name was Yahweh. He is Lord. We do not need another. There never has been another. There never will be another. Friends, we have one God, period, full stop, end of the sermon. See you next week. (laughs) You wish. But yeah, it's... But we become like him. Our character is changed. That who we were is shaped and molded to be like him. That's what the Spirit's doing in us. That's what the teachings of Christ do with us. And I tell you, you can probably look back and tell you ain't the same person you used to be. Some of those sharp edges have been rounded off. Yeah, the tendency for us, we always look at our failures. You ever notice, you know, when you're laying there in bed, it's 2 a.m., and what does your brain do? Puts on, hey, greatest embarrassing hits of your life. 
And you know, you're laying there thinking about it, cringing about the stuff you've done. You know why you do that? Because we're all thinking about how cringy you were back then. That's none of the rest of us. That doesn't happen. It's just you. No, just kidding. I mean, all of us, we do that. We think of the things that we have done because we see our flaws very, very clearly. And we are all focused on our flaws. But I tell you what, friends, you've been forgiven. In Christ, all that's in your past. You're being shaped. You're being changed. Who you were is not who you are now. Who you are now is not who you will be. Because God is changing you. You see, we have not gained salvation so we can remain sinful like the world around us. He didn't clean us up just so we can get dirty again. You parents with you little children... Maybe you remember some of you who, you know, they're a little bigger than some of the ones who are fussing right now. But uh, you remember when your kids were little, you'd get them cleaned up and they'd go outside and you know what they find? It's like a little mud-seeking missile. Sometimes we can try to act that way with sin. But Peter says that's not, we're for, not what we're for. We've been called out of this world. We're told to become like Jesus. That means we're to change, we're to reform, and we're to be like him. And yes, perfection is a high standard. Friends, we aren't even going to attain it in this life. You're working for Christ. You've been following him, some of you, for years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries. Well, maybe not, but sorry. Some of y'all just, yeah, no. <laughs> We've been following Jesus. We're not there yet. And this side of the veil, we're never going to get there. But we are becoming more like him bit by bit. But we still need to expend effort. He says, we got to do this. He, keeps, he goes on from here and says, this is why. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control and so on. He just keeps stacking character, character, or qualities of Christ in our character. And says, look, we keep doing this. It's going to take effort. It's going to take work. Why? Remember what we said? The good stuff isn't easy. Friends, you're not finished when you believe the truth. You need to live the truth. Because when we believe the truth, we will live the truth. It will have an effect in what we do. You know, last week when I started off and I said, hey, I put spiders under the pews and nobody moved. Does none of y'all believe me? Because I hadn't. I don't like spiders either. But I tell you, if you believed, somebody who'd been jumping up, oh, I'm out of here. This is the spiders' church now. now. If we believe, we do something. If we believe, we change. Friends, if we believe the truth of Christ, we're going to live out the truth. The truth of Christ bears fruit in a righteous life. If you believe him, and you, you will follow him, and you will change. And if you look back over your life, I'm sure that is, that is what you will see. You're not there yet. None of us are there yet. But we're all on the same path together, headed the same way. You see, holding the truth doesn't just mean we believe the truth. It means we allow that truth to transform our lives. As Christians, we're all engaged in this process. 
The people we have been, they are being replaced by ones who are becoming ever more like Christ in whom we believe. Bit by bit, day by day. The, the you that is you today is not the you that was yesterday. It's not the you that will be tomorrow. There's only one who never changes. He says, I am. But friends, we're going to be character-wise like him. We're going to get there. It's a long road. But holding the truth of Christ means we live in righteousness. And believing the truth and living properly, that's necessary. But as we do that, there's going to be obstacles in our way. You get to chapter 2 here of, of, of 2 Peter, and he points out some of these obstacles are people we're going to meet. They're people who will try to undermine our faith. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction does, is not asleep. Yeah, Peter gets a little strong here. Why? Well, when somebody's done mopping the floor at your house, you just march in there with muddy feet and you tell me what happens. Nobody likes to see their work being undone. Peter's working for this and they're trying to undo that. Paul got used very strong language about these people because they were undoing his work. Friends, we need to hold to the truth in a, in a world of lies. In the early church, before the collection of the New Testament, it was very, very easy for people to creep in with their own spins on things because it took a while to assemble this New Testament. You know, they didn't just write letters and say, this will be part of the Bible. We will call this part the New Testament. You know, not how it worked. The early church looked at all the writings and they used criteria, things like, does it put forth the truth of Christ as we know it? Is it connected to Christ? Is the author connected to Christ? Are they an apostle? Are they clo closely related to an apostle? Does the church in general believe this stuff? And those things that met that bar, the church accepted as being canon. You know, C A N O N, one canon. Two ends, you're shooting something. One end, you're preserving it. People get that wrong all the time. The New Testament canon, one end in the middle, one end on the end. And the church assembled this, but there were things that didn't make it. Sometimes you'll hear about, well, the church, they, they just left out the stuff that they didn't like. And they, people pretend that these other things, like the Gospel of Judas and stuff like the Gospel of Thomas, they say, well, the church just ignored, just, you know, th those are every bit as authoritative. Really? Try this in any other part of life. You get in your car, you go buy, buy yourself a new car, you got an owner's manual. Well, there were things that Toyota didn't put in the owner's manual. Rejected chapters from the owner's manual. You don't need 5W30, cooking oil will work. <laughs> Try it, folks. 
going to get real expensive real fast. It was rejected because, friends, it was lies. And that's the sort of stuff that was starting to creep in. People trying to make lies and, and get them passed off as truth. Sometimes they were diluting the, or diluting the true teachings of Christ or they tried to mix in other philosophies and things that drew people away from the actual truth. We're going to see a lot about that next week when we talk about 1 John. But they were trying to take other things and mix it in or take things out. And in doing that, they were completely undermining the truth of Christ. It was easy then because it was hard to check them against things. But still, folks, people try this today. It's easier for us to check people against the Word of God. I mean, you can buy, get Bibles anywhere. The tools we have to study the Bible are amazing. I use a package called Logos. It's absolutely overkill for most people. Sometimes people are like, Preacher, what kind of software do you use? And I'll tell them and they'll look up the price and their eyes will bug clean out of their head. Because, folks, the packages and stuff that I use, there's about, if you bought this stuff straight, there'd be four digits to the left of the decimal point. It's not cheap, but I've got all the trans, I've got translations, I've got original language stuff, I've got lexicons, I've got all these goodies to help me find this. So if somebody starts saying something, well, the Greek says this, well, let's just see. And man, I can check that on my phone even. But there's still those who want to weaken the demands of Christ for us to be like him. Oh, you can come to Jesus, but you don't have to change anything. You can follow Christ, but a lot of that Bible stuff's unnecessary. How you follow Jesus without doing what Jesus says is beyond me, but some people claim you can do it. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's along the lines of, uh, you know, hey, I just finished a 14-day diet in three days. Yeah, we all know that wasn't legit. Friends, Jesus calls us to change how we are, and there's a lot of resistance to that. Because we want to be told it's okay to be as we are. And Jesus says, God loves you as you are, but he wants you to be like him. He takes us from where you're at and elevates us and cleans us off and makes us like him. Friends, we don't get to stay as we are. I guarantee you, you look back over your life, you're going to see you are not the person you were. I know I'm not, and praise Jesus for that. Lord, have mercy. I still ain't what I need to be. And probably every single one of us in here can say that. Praise Jesus, we're not who we were. Lord, have mercy. We aren't where we need to be. But these people who are spreading falsehoods about Jesus, they're bringing destruction. Because if we believe false things, we won't do what he says. We won't do as we need to do. And so they're drawing people away from the true commands of Christ. They're undermining people's faith. They are destroying souls. Friends, it's a lot of work to bring people to Christ. It is downright frustrating to have people try to pull them away. 
And Peter, yes, he uses strong language. He says they are earning their own destruction. God is not pleased with their actions. Friends, it is not enough to claim something is Christian. We must be Christian. We must actually follow Jesus, follow him in every way, not just the ways we might want, but all of them. Others may go around spreading lies. We must hold to the truth. Friends, the antidote to lies is truth. Yes, some are going to be deceived. I wish that weren't the case. It is the case. But we must make sure we are not deceived. Friends, this one's on us. We have to hold to the truth in face of falsehood because the truth matters. We cling to it because you know what? We know where we're headed. Peter gets down to the close of the book, and here's what he says. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and discarded, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Friends, we are holding on because we are looking to heaven. We know where we're headed. Peter winds up this letter with a reminder of our future. Friends, we Christians, we are always pointed forward to heaven. Sometimes I'll see stuff on Facebook. It's written by people that are, I guess they're Christian. And they think they're being profound when they're just being wrong. And one thing I saw, I don't remember exactly how, how it was put, but it was something like, Christians need to worry less about heaven and more about what we do in the here and now. And I think I get what they were saying, but I prefer to echo the Apostle Paul who says, if our hope is only for this world, man, we are the most pathetic people who have ever been. Because... Constantly in the New Testament, we are pointed forward to heaven. Even Jesus, on that last night of the Last Supper, he's sitting there with his friends, his disciples, even though one of them has just left to stick a knife in his back. Jesus says to them, In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to come and get you, and we're all going to be there. What was going to preserve them in that dark night, in that dark weekend? What is going to preserve them going forward, spreading his message? What preserves us that sure and certain hope of eternity? That's our goal. We are transformed in the here and now. We serve Christ in this life, but we are always looking past this life. Yeah, what we do, we work out now. But we're not doing it for now. I look around to see a lot of you are retired. Some of you, a good chunk of you aren't, but a lot of you are. Those of you who are, think back to before you retired. When you got up on Monday morning to slog into work every day, what went through your mind? Oh, yay, more memos today? Or did you have a countdown to that glorious day of retirement? Where you could walk out and be, yes! Man, I remember the day I walked out of Restoration Hall at Lincoln Christian Seminary having completed my last class for my Master of Divinity degree. It felt glorious. I remember my last morning of high school. I got up, was listening to a little bit of music before getting on the bus. or before my, Actually, my buddy came and picked me up that morning, but 
The song that came on the radio was the Beach Boys, the Sloop John B. If you don't remember that one, this is the worst trip we've ever been on, was the, was the chorus. I, I just, for some reason, I felt, I felt that was prophetic. You know, the Lord had a word for me that morning from the Beach Boys. We look forward to the end of the difficult times and the coming of the good times, don't we? That's what we're doing. Life after death is the real payoff here. Jesus preached it. The disciples believed it. They handed down this hope to us. And friends, we know what's coming. There will be an end to this world. It will not go on forever one way or the other. Man, even atheists believe this world will end. Those who deny any existence of God believe this world's going to end because eventually this earth is going to be incinerated by the sun. And when it turns into a red dwarf, it's going to grow and eventually burn this earth to a crisp. Saw a meme even this morning said, you know, here comes the sun by the Beatles. And a guy's smiling. Here comes the sun by NASA. Not smiling. <laughs> but eventually the sun's going to grow and consume this earth. And the entirety of the universe is either going to be crunched down to a single point. Or the universe will eventually reach heat death with no other energy to be expended. One of the two things is going to happen. They aren't sure which. But Peter says, God's going to blow it all away. I, we know what's going to happen. Finally, friends, everything that is won't be. And what will replace it will be perfect and remade. In four weeks, we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. Hope you're here for that one. That's going to be a fun one. I'm not going to go into the weeds with it. But you know... The Bible doesn't do spoiler alerts. I'm going to spoil the end for you now. You know what happens at the end of the book? We win. Everything that is, is not. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, for the former things will have passed away. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and we will be with him and he will be our God and there will be no more crying or sickness or pain for the old ways will have passed away. Friends, on your way to that chapter 21 of Revelation, you see not just Satan and his angels, but the actual concepts of death and suffering cast into the lake of fire. Friends, there will be true justice for once. We talk about things like stand up to cancer and stuff like that. I saw a bumper sticker on somebody's car that said, you know, you know, you know, give money for cancer. I'm like, I don't want to support cancer. But the, you know, we, we talk about, you know, stand up to cancer or fight this disease. Friends, we, you know, th th these are diseases a nebulous concept. But friends, one day God is going to judge it. The Alzheimer's that ate my grandma's brain will be cast into the lake of fire. And I am going to cheer. Friends, that is what we look forward to. None of this is worth anything if we don't have that to look forward to. But praise God in heaven, it is sure, it is certain. We have a hope that extends past this dying universe. Everything we see has an expiration date. Saw a picture a few weeks ago. Front label, 100 million year old sea salt on the back, expires in five years. 
this is the world we live in. It not only doesn't make sense, it's dying. And God's got something new. The reason we hold to the truth is because only the truth of Christ will see us to heaven. And that day is coming. Are we going to be ready? Friends, if we live out the truth of Christ, we will be. We look ahead to a beautiful eternity. And we will reach that reward by living out the truths of Christ in the here and the now. Becoming like him in our thoughts, in our actions. Man, we're never going to live out these truths. We're never going to be like him if we discard them in, the, in favor of lies. So make sure you can tell the difference. You got to do your Bible study. Got to know what he says. And we can't realize our heavenly hope if we reject the truth of how we are to live. We can't just do whatever we want. Man, how we act matters. Let us hold to Christ's truth in every way now so we can enjoy being with Christ forever. Friends, that day is coming. Yeah, we got friends in high places. It is well with our soul because that day is coming. Be ready. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We praise you for your son who has died for us, who has redeemed us. Lord, help us to follow him. Help us to believe him, to serve him. Every moment of every day, following him, so that on that day we can be with you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.